Hi, welcome to Ravens at the Crossroads. I'm Mistress Prime. I'm Tyler Matthews. And we're here with Jamie Della, author extraordinaire. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We also have another guest. Hi, I'm Jamie's mom, Kathy. <laughs> nice to meet you, Kathy. Thank you for joining us today. We're so excited. This is so fun. I'm glad you're in town. Yeah. It's kind of an unexpected, uh, wonderful thing because I, I knew that you'd moved out of the area and uh, we prefer whenever possible to do in-person interviews because they're, I don't know, they're just, a, there's a little bit more enjoyable aspect to it because we get to see your face when we're talking to you. And, and we have a little bit more control over um, audio quality. A little bit, yeah. 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 Well, the eye contact helps. Yes. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> Even though it's like over the little thing. <laughs> uh, so talk to us about, let's see, you have quite the long collection of books, but talk to us about your newest book, The Book of Spells. The Book of Spells is actually a revision of the teen spell book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, last October, my publisher, 10 Speed Press, contacted me and asked me if I'd like to revise the book which is fantastic because I wrote eight books in 10 years while my sons were young. And then I had to leave the attention on my authorship to raise them as a single parent and go back into the workforce. And I was looking for this opportunity, doing my vision boarding, creating my manifesting and didn't know this would happen, but this is what happened. And so then I had the opportunity to look at the teen spell book, which when I wrote that, I was at the end of my Saturn's return mm. and looking to let go of some pain and some st old stories, particularly about the divine feminine and healing with my mom and letting go of any teenage angst and knowing that we all do the best that we can. So when I wrote the book the first time, I went through my diaries and Anything that was about anything that I wrote that I wasn't connected to my own divi divinity, my own um, connection to the goddess, or to God, to um, community itself, to belonging. Belonging is a big um, theme in my life. And so anything where I didn't feel part of and separate from, I wrote a spell, visualization, visualization manifestation bring up the opposite virtue. So if I'm talking about apathy, now I'm going to talk about purpose. Mm. And so then with the book of spells, what we did is I eliminated 50 spells that felt they were superfluous or very focused on teen and wasn't as focused on self-empowerment. Okay. And then I added um, information on the tarot and herbs and crystals and eight new spells based on the 18-year difference. So it's kind of an ironic twist that it was literally, you know, a full adulthood mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that the book grew up. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this just came out, right? Yeah, it came out October 1st. Um, one of the fun things about it is that when the cover design was first done, they had a single rose with a lot of thorns. Mm. And I said, you know, I know that that's how some people present magic and how some people present witchcraft, 
but I'm a Hufflepuff and I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Mama don't play that game. <laughs> so I sent them the quote from Leonard Cohen, um, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Because to me, that's what this book is about. This book is about owning our cracks, owning where we feel imperfect, owning where we feel disconnected and um, letting that glue be that golden dust that is our connection, kind of like um, the Japanese um, art of um, cracking the teacup and filling it in with the gold filigree mm -hmm. to show that that's, that's what life is. And then I sent them a picture. I cannot remember the artist's name. I think it's Ellen something or another. She's a sculptress and she did this, um, it's called Expansion, and it's a, this, a, a sculpture of this woman sitting in cross-legged position with her arms open and cracks of light coming through her. Oh, I think I've seen that. Yeah, so that's how they redid the, um, the cover. Oh. Very cool. Very cool. So last night, you were at an event. I you was were, at an event. You were invited to do an invocation. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. One of the things that was really neat about that is to have my boys with me. You know, a lot of times people are asking now, like, why should I choose your book? It, with all the book of spells that are out there, all the spell books that are out there, why should, why does yours stand out? Why should we care about yours? I said, well, first of all, it's based on my teenage years. In other words, it's based on the beginning of anything when it started hurting, when you started to first have your trust broken, when you started to first, you know, feel well, maybe not the first time you felt depression, but the first time you really started to feel that disconnect because you're developing your individuality. So that also means you're developing the, the like some disconnect as well and learning how to bridge that gap. So it's a lot about connecting to the divine, connecting to your original innocence, connecting to your, um, ability to co-create the world with the divine and so this was i was able to bring my boys with me that was really the the shining moment for me is my two sons skylar and kobe who are now uh 20 and 22 were drumming on either side of me oh. while i was chanting deep into the center we're touching her deep about our mother about our mother earth about our own divine nature and that was really very powerful for me. And I was born um, in St. Joseph's Hospital. So I was born right in death. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I was born in St. Joe's, raised in Santa Ana for the first eight years of my life. So I'm returning to this place and calling in. I mean, I was invoking the directions with some oomph. And that was, that was really fun. And, um, you know... I used my athame, like pulled it way up and held it up with this big knife. And it was just um, a reclamation of our witchcraft and our craft and our beauty and the lightness of what we do. So that was, that was really, that was really something special. Nice. That was very cool. Now, do your boys uh, practice the craft as well or were they there just to support you? They have their own ways. Okay. Um, my youngest, they both do ritual in their own way. The mm. youngest just did one to um, to heal from a heartbreak and mm. used a lot of um, the work that I've taught him and created his own ritual to help him through that. I gave him a, a cord cutting ritual and then he added to it with other things and other crystals. And 
So that was really cool. And the young and the older one, he lives in in um, on the islands. So he uh, he's living it every day, studying tropical agriculture. Mm. And they're both they're ones into music and ones into um, tropical agriculture and 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 mushrooms and and how do we make this connection? So it's it's living in them. Mm. Awesome. That's that's great to hear. Yeah, proud mama. Yeah. So, um, since we're talking about family here, let's talk about mom. So, tell us about your perspective, about your daughter, and how she's been on this path. And uh, do you share this path, or do you have a different opinion about it? Or, Well, <clears throat> just to give some background, when um, I was pregnant with Jamie, and I was eight months pregnant, my own mother passed away. So uh, her middle name is the same as my mother, Della. And I didn't realize at the time that Jamie comes from James, which means surplanter. And she was like the Phoenix child to me. She was the one that my cracks, my sadness, she could fill that void to a degree. And I knew that she was not going to be like any other. She was kind of like a really... Um, unique, delightful, whimsical, mischievous child that I saw these things in her that she was going to always go her own path. And I kind of delighted in that. She uh, marched to the beat of her own drummer, which I applauded because I appreciate that in me. (laughs) And so I see that in her and it kind of validates. And I see that how wherever she goes, she kind of brings, she's kind of like the glitter of the world. She brings that sparkle to people and lights them up and kind of shows them, I think she has light in her to be able to guide the light in other people. And so, um, (laughs) so I I appreciate her paths and I see her go in many different, you know, kind of variations of the path. And she's a searcher and a seeker and um, wants to affirm life and just dance that dance of life. And I love that about her. This woman's got words. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Let's see where you get it from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when she writes things, I thought, oh, I thought I was a writer. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> so tell us about when you first decided to really start pursuing this path in such a way that this was going to end up being more than just a spiritual experience. It was something that you were going to now pursue to share with the rest of the world. Um, Well, I think you like my mom just laid the foundation there that I, uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom had crossed before I was born. So I always had this connection to the, to the spirit world. So it was kind of like my grandma Coco, you know, where that was always a part of my life. So it was very, and being um, half Mexican, it's just part of the magical realism of life is to be able to connect with the other side. So to me, that was just as normal as breathing. Um, And then I had another grandmother who was a tarot reader and that's what she did for a living. And she was a character. (laughs) She came from uh, a well-to-do family in the South and dropped all of that to pursue her crazy dreams. And so I always had 
this um, innate knowing that you could speak, uh, that you could, you could uh, bring in your own tuition, that you could learn to listen to the spirits, that you could learn to listen to the, um, the guidance that would come from, from a, from a tarot deck. I remember the first time we had I foreign exchange student from Spain and my Nana started talking to her about past lives and that affects the relationship she's in today. She was the first person who told me about soul families and, and 11, 11. And I was hearing this, all of this as a, at a very young age. And then I was also raised in Christian science because my mom who had been raised Catholic, um, her first marriage didn't work out. And so when her second husband, the man who raised me, John came around and he was raised in Christian science. And that had been a religion that really helped him get through the Vietnam war. When he was raising my sister and I, we went to school every day. So I was told everything you see this table is no more real than the idea and the intention that you give it. And so I was, I remember at, at 11 years old, thinking of I could really see table as just um, idea rather than form. I could pass my hand through it. In the middle of church, I did that. And so I always knew this was all possible and all real and this parallel universe that we were living in, or, you know, the spirits and, and the elemental beings and all of this was always just part of it. That was always very real. The moment I decided to stand up for it, though, and be a spokesperson for it was after having my son. So after giving birth, I thought, this is the world I want to create for him. And this is the hill I'll die on. And so I didn't know how it was going to happen. You know, I just started um, attending Sabbats and I just started being part of the community and getting more in the formal way versus a solitary kind Mm -hmm. of practitioner. And then I worked, I started working for a literary agent as her assistant. And when my son was born, bless him, he's a Leo, so he did not, he needed his attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a Leo too. (laughs) (laughs) They get along. They have their hair. So um, in any case, so I remember, um, it was one of those spells where you don't do all the directions. It's just your intention is so pure that you feel it ringing out to the universe. I circled this tree holding my son praying to the mother earth, to mother goddess, to all the spirits to bring me a career where I could stay home with my children and do what I love. And then within a week, my literary agent who had just been her assistant, just reading manuscripts came to me and said, there's an editor who wants, who's looking for an author to write a Wicca cookbook. I believe you can do this. And so it was really an answer to a prayer, an answer to a spell, whatever you want to call it. It was a call to the universe and it was responded in a book. And so I wrote that book while I was pregnant with my second son. So when the Wicca cookbook was written and then um, right after I turned in the manuscript, the publisher that had originally contracted me to do it went bankrupt. Oh no! So that meant I had to fight for the right for the book because I thought... Then I started getting scared, you know, like, oh my gosh, what am I thinking? I'm coming out of the broom closet. I have babies. What the heck? This was not a great idea. And then I had to fight for it. And then it was nine months in lawyers and legals and working with the author's guilds and all these things to say, okay, all right, mother goddess, I'm ready to do this. I'm able, I'm willing, let's go. And then um, it was another publisher picked it up and off it went. Uh. 
So cool. And what year was that? That was 2000. So the first book came out, the um, the Wicca Cookbook, Recipes, Ritual, and Lore came out in October of 2000. And then that book sold so well that they asked me to do um, the teen spell book. Okay. So, and then I thought, oh no, because that means I'm going to have to go back to the land of the lost. And I was playing Ario Speedwagon and all the music from my teenage <laughs> years to really remember what like, it was recapture like, it. to recapture it, to really talk about what is it like to be 14 and feel like there's nobody who understands you. What does that feeling really feel like? So all that work for the first, that book, the second book was really my own healing. And as a Capricorn, I got paid for my own healing, which I think is hysterical because that's just what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we wouldn't work. know anything about that, would <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're not sitting across the table from two other Capricorns. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Your first week of January, aren't Second you? week. Second week. I'm first week of January. Well, my birthday's tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> so I'm a Sagicorn because my mama, Leo, was looking at the Capricorn oh, and going, oh, that's boring. Oh, yes. <laughs> you did. You know okay, you said I... it. And so she would read to me this stuff about the Sagittarius. You are the gypsy, the wanderer, the philosopher. I'm like, Really? Because I just really want to work, you know. And then, and then I remember it was it was almost like coming out of the closet when I got my first astrological purport. I'm like, I'm a double Capricorn with a Virgo moon, mom. And she's like, No, say it isn't so. But I think that the benefit of having, I know it's not, it's okay. I think the benefit of of that though was that I was. I might have been more stoic. I might have been more stodgy. But because this whole idea of like, go out there and seek the world, see what you can do, be brave, jump, you know, leap, you can do this, you have it in you. I went, okay. And so I would do it. So, so many times I would just jump and it would work out that I developed that adventure spirit, mm. you know? Okay, but remember, David Bowie, also <laughs> a Capricorn. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's true. So I call myself a Sagicorn. Is what I because I'm I'm one degree in, so I'm there. I'm in the cap, but um, so I'm sorry. I was saying something about the book. Um, in any case, oh, I know what it was. So then, after the teen spell book, I d- I did agree to write write it. I what I did is I went to um, Sedona with a couple of girlfriends because I thought, how can I do this? I know I'm going to go into the fire to write a book about teens and I know I'm going to have to give up this armor if I mm. do that mm-hmm. and so I, I remember we all took a walk and it was starting to snow and I got this image of the um, the drama and the comedy masks you know the tragedy and comedy of drama and it and this this thought came to me you've lived a long time in your sadness it's time for you to let that go and try some happiness and I oh, and I turned around and there was a coyote standing five feet from me, looking at me like, "Did you get it? <laughs> Did you hear that? You trickster medicine has turned on you. The mask has stuck. Pull it off." And then he scooted up the hill, and I whistled because it was you know the surreal moment. And he looked back at me like, "What?" I'm giving you the message. I'm done, you know. And so then we went to this grocery store and my girlfriend met this guy. He goes, I'm the happiness guy. I'm like, you're the what? 
because I wear yellow because that is the color of joy and happiness. Does anyone have a pencil? I want to write my name down for, for my friend for something. And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a pencil that was covered in those smiley faces. <laughs> I thought, okay, I guess this is for you. Mm-hmm. And so I went home and I wrote the book. And I spent six months purging, and I literally did feel like the slee stacks were coming after me sometimes. I was <laughs> stuck in the caves with the land of the lost. And then. Can you then... have to explain slee stacks to you? Yes. Oh, no. Tell me this is so. <laughs> I, I, I was holding back from the fact that, like, you wrote your first book my freshman year in high school. Oh, well, appreciate you sharing. Sharing is caring. So the sleeve <laughs> sleep stacks were these goofy, like alien type mo- zombie, like if you an alien and a zombie kind okay. of came together. And they so they were like dinosaurs. Yeah, that, that too. Weird alien dinosaurs. It was a TV show in the 70s. It was The Land of the Lost. and if you... I, I remember vaguely The Land of the Lost because it was on reruns when I was growing up. Okay, good. Okay, we got that going for us. Good. So, yeah, so they would like, if you got lost in the tunnels, like the, like the catacombs, mm-hmm. they would come after you in this really slow kind of way. Yep. It was They had this horrible sound. It was... And so I was like literally dreaming the slee stacks were coming after okay. me as I was going into the catacombs to retrieve my <laughs> fragmented selves. This, you know, I mean, it was a real nightmare. And so in any case, that book came out in August of 2001. Mm. That same time, a, public, or a producer from the Sci-Fi Channel called me and said, you know, we'd like you to host your own cooking show. And you know where the and I live Wait, under a rock. I don't the watch Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, first of all, I don't watch TV. So at the time, I didn't know who they were. So I called my publicist, thinking it was a hoax. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Who's this Sci-Fi Channel?" And she said, 13 million viewers. Called them back. Oh, okay. So I called them back, and we shot a pilot in August of 2001 in Malibu, next to Dick Van Dyke's house. Um, and Patricia Telesco was the other person that they were shooting with, uh, nice. the Kitchen Witch. So we had, you know, all day set up. And, and I just remember, you know, when that all I could think of was that they put me in a dress that looked like a potato sack. Oh. And... And I had fake eyelashes, and I felt like I was looking through spider legs. And then they had that um, cord that you know went down, like down my body, and it was just felt so strange the microphone and mm-hmm. the way it was taped up, and and it was the same thing, you know, where you're standing out calling in the four directions in front of this crew who probably thinks I'm a kook, and I'm running the tape in my head that this is so stupid, and I've thrown myself out there, and what am I doing, and I don't see the net, and oh my gosh. And um, then after that, they said, so we did one taping, and then they said, okay, let's, and I thought that was going to be it. I thought, oh, well, I gave my best. It was just, it wasn't good. I was stiff. I know it. And they said, do it again. I thought, oh, God. Mm. <laughs> and I, so I turned around to do the dishes. And they're like, what are you doing? You don't do the dishes. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what do I do then? And then my friend came up and held a straw out for me with some water and said, so you don't ruin your lipstick. I thought, well, this is just so stupid. I mean, I was just changing diapers and you know what, get her yesterday and now here I am doing this. So I kind of let loose in the second tape and it was a aphrodisiac theme and i had just bought a um a statue of aphrodite from points of light in long beach and and i was you know 
I rocked it the second take. Nice. <laughs> and and my um it was back in the day when the smudge sticks were like as big as turkey legs, like from the Renaissance Fair. Oh yeah. And so I was holding it up and it like started to spark and I thought, Oh shit, this thing's gonna go off. Because <laughs> I'd had that happen before. So um but what happened was, you know, the tape went through and then two weeks later nine eleven happened. Oh. You know, so of course they canceled the show. And I just thought, oh, my God, it was like that. You know that sound when the vault clangs shut? I felt like that's what happened. And I was on the outside as a witch, and all the Christians were in the middle, like on the other side of the door. And I was like, oh, dear. (laughs) Now what? I have two babies, Mm -hmm. two books about witchcraft, and everyone's a Christian now. Yep. Yeah. 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 Everybody rank and file. That's that's how it all went to just... You were Christian and you were white, and that was kind of it. it, it and straight. And straight, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And so that was, you know, here I was, a brown woman who I wanted to get a divorce at that time, but I had um, two sons and I was afraid to lose them from, you know, in a custody battle. And as a matter of fact, like I think Judging Amy had just come out with, there was an old show and, um, it was like a, a, a docudrama. No, it was more like a drama, just a drama show. Do you remember that one, Mom? Yes. You do. Okay. And there was an episode where a woman um, where a woman was able to um, a woman was able to uh, almost lose her son because her husband said, "Oh, she was a witch." And so he this was like an episode on judging Amy. Mm-hmm. And soon after this, my um, soon-to-be ex-brother-in-law told the um, court that I was a witch and that's why he should get full custody of my sister's children. Oh, man. So it was definitely a dance of how Weren't do you... Were we just talking about this in yeah, the last episode? Yeah, l- we literally just had a conversation about, you know, coming out to family and having that information out there. Sometimes it's better just to not. Yeah. For you, I'm, I mean, you were... I'm not author, saying but... that people should stay in the broom closet for anything. In fact, I wish we didn't have to. But for certain people, safety and security yeah. in order yeah. to maintain their jobs, their homes, their families, their children. Right. And that's what's kind of cool, honestly, about this book coming out because my boys are older now. Yeah. <laughs> they can come see me. Like, I don't have to worry about right. custody and, and this kind of a thing. And and so, yes, I mean, there was even a time in 2005 when the Orange County Register wrote a two-page article about me. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah. And my grandfather wouldn't talk to me. because he saw it it was like we came out in november and uh, of 2005 and that thanksgiving he just grabbed i mean mexican you know catholic yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) macho catholic (laughs) and he just growled at me he just he just looked i mean and i was his first grandbaby i was you know there was we always had a special connection because it was his wife who had who had died the month before I was born, and I was like kind of replacing that, and and so he um, just growled at me, and I and I just kind of avoided him, and he forgave me by Christmas. Yeah, he got over it. He did. He got over it fairly quickly. It was just quickly. a shock, I think, to his system. You know, really. <laughs> he didn't know, and they took yeah. a, the picture they took of me looked kind of foreboding. You know, they kind of yeah. played up that dark yeah, witch look. I have look. been on the cover of the Orange County Register for being a witch. I am fully aware. Right. <laughs> yeah, media has this habit of uh, turning the witch element up to 11, you know, mm. oh, yeah. photoshopping right. in the pointy hat, all mm. that. Yeah. 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 And, and that's also when I realized, because um, I was, you know, 
in my 30s at the time that when there's a camera that looks that you're looking down you're going to look more ominous oh, yeah. and you're going to get Ooh. a double chin oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's a terrible <laughs> angle so i learned a lot yeah. <laughs> so you were uh telling us a story before we started recording about oh, amazing story your trip mm-hmm. to spain yes so when i was um it's good a little backstory Perfect. So when I was about seven years old, my mom was um, just finishing college and was, you know, on the precipice of getting her first teaching job where she was able to be a bilingual teacher. And it was um, the beginning of, I mean, it was the the feminist movement, the Chicano movement. There was a lot of this. So my mom was in this process of developing a lot of pride about our heritage, our Mexican heritage. And so she made um, really sweet folklorical outfits for my sister Julia and I. So we had the white peasant blouse with the little rickrack on it and the, the red tear skirts with the green and the red. So went to school, Cinco de Mayo, had the braids curled up, you know, the whole nine yards. And I almost got my ass kicked because someone came up to me and said, who do you think you are? You think you're brown today? And I thought, well, I'm always brown. No, no, you're not. You're not. You're not Mexican enough to wear that outfit. Wow. And she was a sixth grader. I was a third grader. And so I was terrified. Wow. And, and, you know, then you just kind of walk home from school and take it off and go, okay. And it's hard because you want to be proud with your mom. I want to be proud. It's my, my ancestry. Then we moved here. um, And where I went to school where I wasn't. Um, then people would make jokes about Mexicans and, you know, derogative mm-hmm. jokes. And then I'd be like, that's my grandfather you're talking about. And I got into school fights because of it. And then right after that, we went to a party um, and there was 300 people there. And my mom tells me I'm related to everyone. Even the cute boy, Gary, Gary Bell, who had the long eyelashes that I had a crush on. <laughs> Apparently it was a cousin. I was very disappointed about Aww. that. And I'm like, well, he's only second removed. Does that count? Aww. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so this was where my mom first told me that we had this heritage of, um, early California, that our ancestor, Jose Antonio Yorba had come to California in, um, 1767 and had one of the first ranchos of California. And so, and it was seven cities and we owned China and silk and all these things. And I just remember thinking, who, who makes up these rules? Where you're first, you're 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 not brown enough, and then you're too brown, and then you're like, you know, a disenfranchised, you know, Spanish princess. I don't understand who does this, and that was an intriguing history to me. So I started looking it up, and I started. I remember I got on my bicycle, and I it was it was a bicentennial, so it was 1776. So they had just started putting up these monuments in this area, and one of them was there was a monument over there by the Santa Ana River where they first crossed the river. And it mentioned um, the Yorba settlement. And because I thought maybe my mom was making it up because she's a good storyteller. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it wasn't maybe a real story. So I had to go around and find proof. So I started finding this proof. And then I um, found like old desks in the bottom of our my elementary school was 100 years old. And so I started finding this research and I got into my 20s and I started um, going to downtown Santa Ana and found the sea captain's journals and the land captain's journals and um, 
a birth like not a birth certificate but a birth announcement of Jose Antonio Yorba and when he was born and I just fell down the rabbit hole of research and I bought all these books about the California lifestyle and it felt so sad to me that there was this part of our culture that we didn't know about who were these Californios what were their ranchos like what were their lifestyle like it was just kind of this forgotten era it was also a time in the fourth grade the following year when you start learning about your your state's history yeah so we'd go to the mission, mm-hmm. San Juan Capistrano, and I saw his grave, and you heard about how he was one of 25 soldiers. So he, there was a whole room dedicated to the California artifacts in the Bowers Museum, and there's his, his writing desk, and so he just became more and more real. This is also a way for me to connect with my grandmother. My mom's mom was to keep her alive, was to study this history of hers, study her history. Makes sense. So... My whole life, I wanted to go to, I found out eventually that, that Yorba, who was, when he was in Spain, was Jorba, was, there was a town of Jorba. There was a family castle of Jorba. So it became this iconic place that I wanted to go to. And I started to wonder, why would he have left? Well, maybe because Catalonia lost their serenity and he was looking for a new home. And maybe that because Montserrat, which is where you visit the Black Madonna, was just, you know, 20 miles as the crow flies from their family castle. Maybe people would stop off there. Maybe they would drink kava, which is where they made kava there. So I started putting puzzle pieces together to try and figure out who this man was. And I just felt like it was a really important journey for me to go and kind of have a touchstone to the beginning of this journey from Europe to America and where my family came from. Same time, I I started writing a research about the Eastern Sierra water rights is a big fight right now. The um, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power was um, had intentions of cutting off 80% of the water and diverting it away from the valleys, um, Long Valley and um, that that is right there and, and sending it straight to LA, which means it would dry out all that. There's cattle ranching that's been going on. There's the Paiute people who mm-hmm. have um, one of their the the name for one of their villages translates to like the land of flowing water and it's not that any as much as it was once Mm -hmm. and so i took there's a creek that runs through the backyard so i took a vial of water and my intention was because i had heard when i was researching and speaking with the paiute people that they had said we are just a water resource colony for los angeles and i thought it was so poignant and so true and so horrific yeah. At the same time that they were still colonizing, that we're still taking um, resources that could be shared for a few people who aren't being responsible and um, looking at their usage. So I took this vial of water with the intention of taking it to, to Jorba. I had a heck of a time figuring out the train system, figuring out how to, I almost got like... Well, I did. I, I ended up at a train system and not knowing how to get to my Airbnb. And a woman came up and said, I'll help you. Aww. And she called and she helped me. And then I figured out how to get the Uber so I could go to this castle. And so I finally made it to Yorba and I started crying. And it was this cobblestone streets and sandstone buildings. And there's this little ruins of a castle at the very top. So the Uber driver took me there and... I went up and I was crying. This was the, this was my pilgrimage. It was my own sacred um, 
you know, like the Santiago was my way. It was, it was my way to find my way back to this beginning, to this, this story that I had been building up my whole life feeling, you know, I could flick a Spanish fan and, and fan myself with it and have this pride of being California or being native of, of 10 generations and just so proud of this, this lineage. And so I took this water and I stood on top of the castle and I poured it on the castle and I said, May this water slake the thirst of all colonists so that we no longer take more than our share. And I was crying and it was such a precious, precious moment to me. And I stood there and I just believed and felt the the generations there. And I knew too the way that the wind blew, the way that the sun shone, everything about that place was exactly like the home that I live in now. So I knew that when my ancestor had come, he must have felt home when he got mm-hmm. here and that's mm-hmm. why because then you basically got land as your retirement like oh I've served 25 years in the Spanish army right. I will take this this 72,000 <laughs> acres thank you very kindly and that's what he did so I got back in the cab and as I was trying to explain to my broken Spanish to or the Uber driver I realized as I was saying it that he once owned this land and he was amazing and he did this, you know, and this cab driver or this Uber driver had never heard of him, but I said, well, yes, and then he named it Rancho de Santiago um, de Santa Ana. And then I thought, oh my God, he didn't, I thought this was Catalonia. I was there. Catalonia is still going after its um, sovereignty. It's 300 years later. And on September 11th, they have a parade every year to try to get their sovereignty back from Spain that they lost in 1714. So that was the whole reason I thought this man had left was because you lost your sovereignty. He wanted to make his own way. This is my adventurous spirit coming through. And then I realized he named his rancho after the patron saint of Spain, not the patron saint of Catalonia. Oh. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Well, wait, well, maybe that he was a colonizer and maybe he, and then I started remembering the stories that I would hear in, at the San, at uh, San Juan Capistrano, he was a very religious man. Yep. And then it started, it was like a house of cards just crashed on me. And I thought, wait a minute, I have been revering a man who is the opposite of what I stand for as a woman, as a witch, as a, as an earth spirituality person. This is someone who is taking, who is taking, taking, taking. And then it felt like I had cast a spell on myself like I had gone in to look at the well and to see my ancestors but I saw my own reflection and I remembered I stood on top of a castle as an I am here in the same conqueror kind of way and I started looking at all the parts of me where I maybe take more than my share or I um take my privilege as a as a woman who can pass I don't look Mexican I can pass and how often am I Uh, identifying with the colonized or how often am I identified with the colonizer so it became a huge lesson for me and I took the vial of water so I started to get sick Mm -hmm. the sickness started to come up but I was had one more day in Spain and I was there during the um, September 11th so I saw the parades I saw the revolution I saw the posters of them trying to get their sovereignty back from Spain from this kind of overbearing country Mm -hmm. right and so I took this vial of water and I went to Montserrat. I went to the Black Madonna, to our Dark Mother, and I held open the open bottle to her. 
and did my ritual right there in front of the guards and everybody and just chanted Espiritu Santo, like fill this with the Holy Spirit so that I may heal this part of me. Bring in the white light so that anything where I, again, use my advantage. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use our strength and our bodies to move forward in this world and to, and to be of good and kindness, but where can I, where can I give? Where, where are there places that I can also share my privilege and share my advantages with others? So, um, so yeah, so from that moment, I felt like, so then I capped the thing in it, it vibrates, my little vial vibrates with the, with the dark mother's energy hmm. that came to me. And I, as I came home, I got sicker and sicker and sicker until I had, um, a healing crisis, a shamanic breakthrough, whatever we want to call this. And I was, um, two days in fever and where my mom kept calling, are you okay? Are you okay Aww. yet? <laughs> and and I was um, burning a, a candle that my cousin makes an intentional witch's brew candle, mm. and and that with a cosmic hug. And I was taking healing baths and 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 doing um, shamanic journeying the whole time until it, till this energy, this black smoke, this um, I am better than you because I am native, feeling that I had grown up with, mm -hmm. was gone. And now I don't have that. I did my own healing because I used to just kind of think this mine, this land is my land, not your land. You know how someone, a Hawaiian person might feel that, you know, like mm -hmm. where it's, it's easy to think that. And I thought that, but I, I wasn't the natives. I've looked, I've, I ordered death and birth certificates to find a native grandmother, but we have a, a great grandmother, Manuela Alvarez, who's right. pretty dark looking. Uh -huh. <laughs> and she's buried in the Yorba cemetery yeah. and there's pictures of her and she's very little and she's very dark. And, and you know, it's that thing right now. We're all talking about appropriation of culture. We're right. all talking about, you know, and I just think that there's, we can go too far with that sometimes too, where we're all children of the earth you know and and at what part do we draw that line where you're appropriating culture and what part do we say i picked this sage because this is where i live and this is a sacred plant and i'm only taking my personal use and i'm not you know reselling it you know on wholesale for a bajillion like where do where do we draw that line and can it just come from integrity and intention right good question um, that's we've we've come across that a couple times uh, speaking with a few people and a lot of it has to do with intention mm -hmm. and respect for the culture mm -hmm. as well um, there's been some instances where we've seen things that are like that that's not really respecting you're you're trying to capitalize on that element and I, I'm thinking about when we went to uh, that event and saw a typical like blonde hair, blue eyed valley girl, and she's dressed as uh, a Native American. Oh. And I'm just like, that's a little. To be fair, uh -huh. when we went to the thing that you did last night, mm -hmm. when we went, it was October, mm -hmm. and so they were celebrating Halloween mm -hmm. and encouraging everybody to dress in costume. Mm -hmm. But there was, as he was describing, one woman who was dressed in you know, Indian princess gear. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't mm. like in a respectful way. It was like right. sexy yeah. Pocahontas. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's a conversation too. I think whether um, we've been, I've been having lately in different circles is when people do take maybe one herbalist class or they, they, mm -hmm. and then they're suddenly making product. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it, it reminds me my long time ago when I wanted to learn the tarot because I never learned from my grandmother. Um, That's really? I, yeah. I was, I don't know. That seems stingy. She should have shared that with you. She might have tried. Who knows? I mean, you know, she would say some things. She was so funny. So my room was the one that's at the end of the hallway here. And it would, it would, the temperature would just drop when you went into my room. And my grandmother said to me, well, honey, I was 16 at the time. She goes, that's why you're such a bitch. It's because you have all those spirits living in there with you. (laughs) So I wasn't like super inclined to find out what was going on. <laughs> and then she'd say, and you know, because it's the rooms are colder and I was an open empath. And so of course they were coming to visit me. When we first moved here, it's a block away from when the, an adobe was built in 1806 by our ancestors. And so they saw me come and so they started talking to me. I was afraid I was going crazy. And after that point, my dad, like I said, was Christian scientist, so he gave us a Bible, and I used to sleep with it under my pillow, and my mom just found out why. <laughs> she thought I just familiar. went super religious. I'm like, no, I was scared that the spirits were going to come get me. <laughs> I didn't, she didn't explain it very well, oh. She, you know, and then she would talk about, like, how she had a spirit ride her and trying to get through her body. I mean, she would just say some things that were quite off color sometimes, you know, but she was, she was a hoot. She used to tell, she drove, so she was a bigger woman and she wore silk, um, animal skin, um, moo-moos and okay. And, and, and chunky jewelry that would make Rita Kailu proud and enough Gina Tate perfume that you smelled her Mm. before and after she left the room. (laughs) And she drove a Mercedes and went with a lead foot. And when she got pulled over, she was from Alabama. Like I said, she would go into a, a tizzy. Oh, office, office. I, I, I'm sorry. It's, it's not my fault. This man, he, he flashed me back there. So I had to get away from him. And if the police officer didn't believe her, she'd say, you know what? All you police officers are criminals from a past life, making up for your bad karma. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she, was the, she was the kind of grandma that would just embarrass you as a teen. So I didn't ask for her craft. Um, she kind of reminds me of uh, Blanche from Golden Girls. A yeah, bit. she kind of was, but if like a little bit, maybe not so sexy. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so so when I wanted to learn the tarot, I asked my high priestess, "How do I learn?" And I was pushing to learn faster and faster. I didn't want to wait. She said to me, "Okay, well, you know what? Why don't you start with um, the magician and every night sleep with the tarot." a major arcana under your pillow and journal about it the next day. So I said, okay, things seem like a good idea. Well, I try to do one every day. And on the 10th day, I thought, oh my gosh, this is too much. I'm not taking anything in. Mm -hmm. This is coming in too fast. I'm not really applying it to anything of my life. I'm force feeding myself the information so I can regurgitate it and teach it, which is back to what we were talking about with this idea of are you really taking that year and a day mm-hmm. to sit with basil before you start teaching a class about it? Right. People, uh, sometimes people come into the community and they're just so anxious to learn everything. They want to mm-hmm. know it all now. They want to be where the rest of us have taken 20, 30 years to get. And I did the same thing. You know, I think everybody on. does. Yeah. I don't know that I've met anybody in this community who, when they first start out on this path, that they aren't, that anxious, that excited. I can't blame them to a certain point. I mean, it, 
you get very excited when you get on this path. Well, you you have the initial awakening where mm-hmm. you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this than, you know, what I've been led to believe. And so you just, as a learning creature, you want to learn as much as quickly as possible. But at some point you start realizing there is, the water's way deeper than you ever expected mm. and you can get in really deep and in over your head for people who don't take the time to learn properly and integrate mm-hmm. exactly yeah you it's also a little bit the american way to go a mile wide and oh, an yeah. inch deep you know it, it is i think we need to really focus and go a little bit deeper instead of having so much you know quality over quantity sometimes yeah that's that's, that's really that's really profound yeah so i feel like i asked this question because my publicist asked actually asked me to see if i could engage in an intergenerational conversation Mm. with witches and people on the path and pagans who are coming from it from all ages and all perspectives because there's kind of a a frustration that we have as we're looking at younger people and saying wow you just kind of like took that and ran with it didn't you you know and Mm -hmm. And so I asked one of my um, mentors, Vicki Noble, who wrote the mother piece, the okay. tarot deck, the circular cards, and, and was an early activist uh, for gay rights and for the goddess um, from the beginning in the 70s. And then her first book started coming out in the 90s. She wrote Shakti Woman, in any case. Okay. So she was saying, you know what? Like you said, every generation does this. Mm-hmm. Every generation gets excited when you're in your 20s and they think they know it and they just want to regurgitate it. They just want to share. And gosh, if this is a way they could make money, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe like, of course, they need some temperance and they don't understand. You know, nobody understands that word in the 20s. <laughs> some people do. I'm sorry. Some people do. But I, okay, I didn't. So <laughs> definitely I didn't. And um, and so it's kind of almost kind of a thing to be expected to a certain degree, you know, and because it is the excitement of youth, mm-hmm. because it is the passion of youth and and kind of like they're not the chariot, the full chariot uh, archetype yet. They're just the wild horse mm-hmm. and they haven't figured out the right. charioteer, the, the reason and and the focus. Right. They've just got all that energy without a uh, like a river without banks well and you see a lot of that um what i call insta witches mm-hmm. uh instagram like their altars are perfect and things like that who and takes a picture of their altar it, i you know i i in order to put a photo of any of my altars i will literally have to create a different one right exactly because yeah. i would not put my actual working altars up because i'm doing work right <laughs> it, it, but you see some of these uh, instagram like the insta witches the youtube witches who have these picture perfect um oh yeah layouts and i'm just like there's no way you're actually practicing on those uh, of any craft it just right. you look at them and it's like this pristine uh model of something i'm just like the makeup there's thing. not the sloppiness the, that's magic yeah magic it, it can be sloppy it can but be it, but a lot of it is it tends to be more of a an aesthetic yeah. rather mm-hmm. than um you know the deeply spiritual right and i'm not saying that it can't be both but more often than not it it feels 
too staged to be sincere. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like Hollywood, and and I think Hollywood has had a, a deep and not always positive impact on the world with regards to our community. And it's an interesting thing because mm-hmm. as an author, for myself, that's what I'm being told to do. Right. Beef up your social media, right. and and finding an image that feels authentic to me that can evoke some magic, mm-hmm. invokes some magic, and right. doesn't um, siphon off the real magic at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a true weird balance that I find because um, it's an av- and I and as a person, I'm, I'll be 52 tomorrow, I'll be a full deck, <laughs> that it feels like it's a foreign, it's a foreign language for me to begin with to work with social media. It's not my my go-to. Yeah. You know. You're not a native. I'm not a native. <laughs> not a native. And you know, and that's a thing and I don't know, forgive me cuz I just feel this way. You know, a long time ago when um when the westerners came and they would take pictures of the native people. They would often say they didn't want their you would hear the story. I never heard a person tell me directly, so I don't know that you take their soul when you take their picture Mm -hmm. and that's what I think of when I see the altars there are the ones I have a a friend who I follow and she is a photographer so when she puts up an altar it should look like it's staged Mm -hmm. because that's what she's doing she's a witchy photographer right that makes sense to me you know Um, but like you said and I took I took one picture of an altar once because it it was it was specific for the picture it wasn't for the work Mm-hmm. And it was to describe a spell. And when, when the OC register came to interview me, and they sent the photographer over a few days later, she looked at my ancestor altar. I have this huge ancestor altar in my living room, or did. It's not there right now. Another story. <laughs> um, but it's covered in crystal skulls. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she had me pose by it. And I had to do this thing where I'm like, you know, this is not, this is not everybody else's thing. This is my thing. I have this affinity and affection for, for this particular element. This is not necessarily everybody's aesthetic or everybody's practice. Not Mm -hmm. everybody necessarily works with their ancestors, Mm -hmm. you know, and. Or in this way. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. in that way. Yes. It, It was just, but it was very sensationalistic. Mm-hmm. And they loved it. So, of course, it was on the front page of the register. Of course. Oh, right. Yeah. So, I, I think there's a thing because I don't, I don't ever want to alienate those newbies that are mm-hmm. super excited. Sure. And, and, um, and filled with joy about what this brings. And at the same time, it's difficult because there is a usurping. There is a feeling. I just had this happen to me recently where in my community, I offered... Um, the opportunity to come and learn about Yule and do vision boards. And so I bought, you know, magazines from the library, the used magazines. I got the poster boards. I got the glue sticks, you know, everything. I was um, was going to talk to them about channeling and how you, how you can really use this as a magical tool, you know, beyond the fun way that we did it when we were teenagers, you know, kind of sure. taking it to the next level. But there was a snowstorm and no one could come to me. So I said, okay, I'll, re, I'll reschedule. And two weeks went by. We got closer and closer to Christmas and 
I thought, well, you know, I don't think I can do it now. I'll do it maybe between Christmas and New Year's or the first week of January, and I'll still, I'll still be in the vibe. And I, these women, they do full moon ceremonies, but they don't know about the mandala of nature. They don't know about the sabbats, you know? Okay. Okay. So they're just, you know, like, it's like loving the crystals or like getting excited about the herbs mm-hmm. and, and taking one silo aspect of it, right? Right. So they were doing the aspots. They were celebrating the full moons and the new moons. And so two weeks go by and the leader posts something on the Facebook group that says, I'm going to put together a vision board on the day after Christmas because, um, because the eclipse is really good for visioning. And I reached out to her and I said, gosh, I was, you know, I bought all the supplies and I just hadn't a chance to reschedule yet. I was kind of hoping we could collaborate on this. And her response was, well, I, I read that this eclipse was a good time to do visioning and you could do yours at another time. And I was, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Honestly, I thought they're all younger and it's a little like playing with sixth graders. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I just, okay, you're all in your early twenties and you know, we're in a touristy town and so they have a different kind of vibe and maybe this isn't my group and maybe I can walk away without having to teach everyone. And I don't have to make them look bad, like put them down in some sassy, I'm older than, you know, kind of like um, I'm older and I have more insurance. Yeah. You mm-hmm. like fried green tomatoes. I don't have to smash I into their little one. red. Oh, good. Thank you. I don't have to smash into their little red bug and tell them I'm, you know, I'm older and I have more insurance. I can actually just walk away and bless them on their journey and go do my own thing because I'm not. I'm not going, and it's an, it was an interesting journey because I thought, who am I standing up for? The goddess or my ego? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was getting upset, when I was feeling the upset rise, you know, who am I, who am I really defending right now? You know, and when I realized I cannot say it's the goddess, I really can't, <laughs> you know, it's really that I wanted to lead. I wanted to teach. I wanted to share. Those are all valid points. Mm-hmm. But also, you also have to, admit to the fact that you had already invested a lot of time and energy in this Mm -hmm. and so therefore you felt dismissed and disregarded and and invisible like any 52 year old woman in this america (laughs) yeah that's the other thing is that that feeling of becoming invisible and that's why i think the maiden mother crone intergenerational conversation is hardest on the mother slash queen because the crone at you know 71 72 71. 71 years old doesn't years young. Really, right years young really doesn't care if her granddaughter is trying to be smarter than her because she knows better mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and someone who's in her 40s and her 50s she's still you know not that you don't know that you know but more more than a 19 year old just in terms of life experience but you don't need to prove anything and when you're older you really don't have to prove anything and now i'm just learning i don't have to prove anything it's kind of an interesting uh, rumble, yeah, as Brene Brown calls him, a vulnerability rumble. Mm. Good point. I I turn fifty next month, so oh, good for you. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I know the fifty, the turning, the turning of the page is is the, the hardest part. What's the that? Decade, the decade, the new decade. Yeah, it's turning it's into the new decade. But once you're there, you know, I've always heard, you know, the twenties are. You're mostly oblivious, you know, yep. trying for things. 30s is when you're really trying to make your name. So you, the struggle is real in your 30s because this is like, this is your prime money earning 
years, right? Mm -hmm. And your 40s, you begin to understand a little bit more who you are. You're settling in deeper to who you are. Mm -hmm. And your 50s are when you rock it. So Hope that's so. what I'm going with. Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> what, nice what do you think, Mom, about the 50s? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just kind of like a just, a, just a new way of looking things, just a new way of looking at things. And just, uh, just I just don't even want to really give a lot of credence to a number, actually, <laughs> really. I like Satchel Page, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? That's just what I think. How old you are you? Know? About 28. <laughs> yeah, that was a good year right yeah i mean it was chaotic sure the middle of saturday's return <laughs> but uh it was still kind of good like mm -hmm. sometimes i miss that time period yeah i'm you bit. know I, I miss i miss the um passion of that period yeah that's that's really what i miss is 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 that drive and passion because i um Perhaps it's an empty nest. Maybe it's living in a mountain how mountain home where the pace is really, really slow. Mm. I don't have the passion and the drive that I used to have. And that's, it's like the energy, you know, yeah. you miss well, that. I have a question to feed off of that is, do you think it's necessarily age or is it the changing times? Because I'm seeing a lot of younger people having to become more mature a lot sooner because of various things that are going on and is that something that as witches we can help heal the community to give people a chance to enjoy their younger years still i don't know i think for me right now it's about recognizing a pace that is actually health inspiring mm -hmm. and life inspiring where I used to always think that unless I was going 50 miles an hour, it wasn't being true to myself mm -hmm. or 150 miles an hour, whatever that like this pace is actually far more enjoyable mm -hmm. and I can breed more contentment in my, in the garden of my soul by to, to quote some cat Stevens. Um, <laughs> You know him. Tell me. You know I, I him. do know. Okay. okay good. Oh, man. <laughs> we were going to have a moment. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that is a possibility. And when I'm think, when as you're speaking that, I feel like I can't remember her name. The young woman who's fighting for climate change from Sweden. Greta. Oh, Greta. Greta. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are people who really have to, um, like you said, mature up and and make some activist decisions. And they don't just get to sit on their laurels. Like my, um, my son, Skylar asked me the other day. He said, "Mom, do you think there will be a world in fifty years?" And that's a valid question. I mean, we're at the point now, it's not, can we reverse climate changes? Can we minimize the impact? We're beyond the point of reverse. Mm -hmm. And so now my generation and younger is having to do some hard thinking and hard evaluation of things. It's like, we need to make changes. And I think part of it is, is the older generation doesn't want to maybe accept responsibility sometimes oh, for sometimes well <laughs> in the sense that they the, don't the they... proof is in the pudding in the fact that some of the choices that they made during and it's not all of them it's the Thank ones you. that had the power right. <laughs> yeah um the ones that had the power the ones that could have made impact chose not to for the almighty currency, whatever mm -hmm. it be, may be. 
Um, and now, 30, 40, 50 years later, we're sitting at a point where the world itself feels like it's crying out. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for some people the lack of trying, like Al Gore, mm -hmm. an inconvenient truth. True. How yeah, many absolutely. years ago did he write that? Absolutely. And yet he was like almost a voice in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And now it's coming No, to worse pass. yet, he was ridiculed for it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, and going back even further, I forget who it was, but there was a scientist in the... Or Silent Spring. Mm. That book. Rachel. Mm -hmm. Carson. Mm -hmm. Right. There was a scientist in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s that was saying that sugar is leading cause hmm. for obesity and mm. heart disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the big sugar industry is like, mm, we're going to pay other people to say it's fat. Right. And yeah. so now we're, again... Paying 40, 50 yeah. years, and obesity and diabetes is one of the highest causes of needing for medication. In childhood. Yep. Someone was on the fence. Oh, what I, was on the fence? I, I don't know. It was either a cat or a large squirrel. We also have opossums here mm. and, and rats. Pause. I attended a ritual at the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium mm -hmm. where this black woman named Jaguar was leading a ritual with Oshun and Yamaya uh, about um, healing of the mother. And she was very visceral, almost like a, like when you think of a, a black Baptist um, church, you know, where there, there's crying and screaming and hallelujahs. And she was saying... It doesn't matter how we got here. We need to stop arguing over who's to blame, and we need to start praying and making changes. If mm -hmm. we spend all of our time pointing fingers, we are not going to heal the mother. Wasting time and energy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so we did this really incredible walk, um, like chanting uh, towards this river, uh, all these women drumming and chanting towards this river, and she did the work wasn't it wasn't a performance you know that's what i don't like when someone says oh you're going to lead an invocation oh uh, yes i'm going to call in the magic no i'm not performing magic there's a difference right mm -hmm. you know and so she was the difference and we she got us so um the, all these women so worked up in our energy and our feeling um that we all got into the field of feeling and sh we couldn't get into we were to 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 get naked and we weren't allowed to step into the river until the tears of the mother started to come through us mm. and so she was leading us until that started and then it was if you can imagine this 50 women walking in bare-chested into a river crying into the mother and invoking Yamaya and invoking Osh, um, primarily Yamaya and and then as we came out she gave us some honey we put it on our yoni and held our legs up to the sun and the sky and then there's 50 women opening up to the sun to bring in with a honey anointed yoni of these tears to feel the mother to step into because once you have a ritual like that you really can't use single-use water bottles you really you really cannot um no i don't need a plastic bag i brought my groceries up here i can carry them out 
mm-hmm. you know you start making those choices can i f- do i need to fly to such and such place can i drive can i carpool you start when you really feeling those tears you know yes it matters kind of how we got there so we can reverse and you know whatever we can or stop whatever bad practices we have but after that it's really about bridging community i believe and reaching to those younger generations and perhaps owning responsibility and having remorse for your contribution to getting us here and then saying how do we work together and finding that out, and yes, you've inherited this. And I told my son when he asked, do I believe that we'll be here 50 years from now? And I said, you know what? It's really a difference. I don't know yet. I believe the difference is between whether or not we give more um, energy towards the power of love or the love of power. Mm. As mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix you know, said, that's really, I believe, if we can be more on the power of love that we can find a way to turn this around, whether it's permaculture or again, turn this around. I say that lightly, I guess, because what I mean is we've still lost many species. Mm-hmm. We've, we've lost topsoil. We've lost so many things that we cannot regenerate in a lifetime. But when we have people who are studying soil now and understanding what mushrooms can do, like in terms of their mycelium network right. and what we can do and what does that all teach us? network it's back to network community and as long as we're all community members and so like i said with this young woman who wanted to do a vision board without me and move forward you know what it's more important that women are learning to co-create with the universe than whether i lead it or not Mm. that's more important so i will step aside because if that's if this community stands for we can usurp somebody's you know information and move forward without them that they're not necessarily my group to hang out with Mm-hmm. But I, I send them only goodwill to do their work. Mm. Okay. Excellent. Uh, I've got a couple more. Uh, okay. Okay. One uh, thing that kind of came as I was driving over here this morning, uh, I actually uh, was thinking about this, uh, and I had a woman curse me while I was driving on the freeway. Interesting. Did she tell you your number one? Uh, no, but I, I could read her lips, and uh, she she had a colorful colorful array of words. Ah. Even though I had my blinker on, oh. she was speeding up to try and cut me off, and I went over anyway. I was like my, and I went to go, like mouth. I had my blinker on, and I literally could not, could not speak. My all of a sudden, I had this tie in my throat, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. It, no reason. I fortunately had my water in the car and just a little ping in the back of my head like, she just cursed you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I was thinking to myself, how many people who don't actually follow the craft, but by putting their intention and their emotion and their energy behind it are actively going off and harming other people. Or themselves in yeah, some cases. I was going to say, more often themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was just like, it was one of those things. I'm just like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, uh, with it, the holidays and everything, everybody's stressed out. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on people who don't necessarily know what they're doing going off and putting that energy out there? That's fun. So the first thought that comes to mind is one time I was at a an event and I had my book out the teen spell book mm-hmm. and this woman came to me and says picks up the book and says does this mean my daughter can cast spells on me 
And I said, and I was so sick of that question. I said, do you deserve it? <laughs> and she just <laughs> looked at me and I said, look, if your daughter lights a candle because she hates you, mm. it's your, she might send that energy out there. She mm-hmm. might focus that on you with or without this book. She can do that. And it's up to you to receive it. It's up to you to whether or not you take it on. And whether or not too, when you're playing ball, you know, someone tosses a ball at you, you got to catch it. You got to integrate it, mm-hmm. you know? So I definitely believe that there's that, there is that, um, <laughs> that, that experience of where someone comes and they, they toss something at you and it just kind of, it hits you anyways, right? What do you, you know, it still smacks you, but then you can choose to whether or not you're going to perpetrate that right. oh my gosh that person hurt me oh my gosh they did this oh my gosh I, how do they get through you know guards up like oh my god I didn't protect myself you know this kind of a story or you could just say wow that was really unfortunate I'm glad I'm not them yeah and, you know and I remember early on in my spell work people saying that it was not okay to even put you know of course to protect yourself but there was an even an integral conversation that i had with one person who said how it could be out of integrity just to even put mirrors you know the mm-hmm. psychic mirrors around mm-hmm. and i said i don't believe that because if they're coming at me they get to see exactly oh, who and what they are mm-hmm. and if it rebounds back on them that is not my karma yeah you know well, so. that's that's exactly what i did it was like oh wow um return to sender yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> wrong address, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what I tell. And, and I also believe going into going into places where when you know that you're going to be uh, potentially attacked, like could be driving to L.A. from here, right, mm-hmm. is um, is the the idea of the three, three, um, threefold eggs of light around mm-hmm. you. Oh, the, the pale blue, the golden and then the white. Mm and then the white is what reflects back to them. Mm. So the pale blue is like your own personal space that like it's really very close to your skin as an egg of white of pale blue light. And the next one is the golden light and that's more the community light. And that's like the connectivity with everybody and this is where we all um, share. Like uh, I was told when I was raised in Christian science that the, there's a mother father God. It was always a mother father, which was kind of cool. Um, and that the mother father god was the sun and we are all individual rays of light Mm. so all of our source all of our light all of our love comes from this one source and so that's that light that golden light and then the next one the white light is what reflects back to them Mm. so anything that comes at you stops right there and just reverses in the other direction and that's you know those meditations that you've been doing for 20 years that you just kind of like call it up real fast and it's just there that's that's the one i do and i don't do it that often but i really try to just emanate so much brightness like my mom was saying earlier that you know and um because basically to me what that does when someone sends you a curse is they're finding that darkness in you and they and they're trying to activate it in Mm you and that's where you get to say return to sender. Right. It's like, I'm, I left with enough time. I'm like, I knew I was doing good on time. So I wasn't stressing about anything. And just all of a sudden, what the heck? Yeah. And, and then that's like back to like the pace where I live in my mountain town. Like I get to be that all the time. So I'm like holding, holding that space. 
mm-hmm. for you and you who live in a, uh, a more fast-paced, anxious energy. You know, where I live, there's not billboards. They're not playing Christmas music everywhere you go. You're not fighting for parking lot spaces. Like the freneticness of, of Christmas um, season doesn't happen where I live. Mm. And so it's kind of like, I'm going to hold this field for that's what you tap into because I'm holding that. Mm. So that's kind of what I'm trying to reconcile around. Have I really lost my drive and my force or am I just holding space right now for contentment? Mm. And that's what I'm going with because I like that better. Okay. I'm I'm all for that. And then uh, following this all up, for people who may be just starting down their path, mm-hmm. what what's the biggest takeaway that you might recommend and maybe one of your books that you'd really recommend for them as well? Well, honestly, I'm really proud of this new book, The okay. Book of Spells. I'm really proud of it. Um, the reason I'm really proud of it is because of the way I structured it. And as a Capricorn, we like our structure. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so the first third of the book is all about the magical correspondences. So to me, a spell book should be like a cookbook. And a cookbook is only a guideline. Right. If you want to add cardamom instead of pumpkin spice, you need to know that you can do that. Because I think one of the most um, frustrating and liberating aspects of the craft is that you are your best teacher. Mm. Because when you're young and you're new and you're like, you just, we've been trained from school on. You study, you take a test that proves you know it. No, it doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. I put my sons in a Waldorf school because it was kinesthetic learning, because that meant they wrote their own textbooks, because that meant that they to develop their um, fine motor skills, they learned to knit and they learned to card wool and all these things that were far more experiential so that the information goes in. So like a cookbook, the first third is all about the ingredients. This is, if you want to add spice, if you want to add sugar, if you want to add savory, if you, you know, this is, this is what, these are the um, different paths. I in- interviewed, one of the last things Raven Gramasi did was edit the section on strega in this book. Oh. So I made sure that I was going to the experts to ask the experts about Alexandrian, about the fae, about, you know, this, this kind of a thing. Um, that's why I was so devastated when there was a mistake on page 73 where the words for for the correspondence for the West and the South were inadvertently flipped. I was, I flipped, but we have, we have bookmarkers now. Hopefully that'll help some people and, you know, matter marker that out. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then the next part are all spells of empowerment. I know a lot of spell books, um, my understanding, it's a lot of power over and not a lot of power within. And so all of my spells manifestations and visualizations to be three things one to own your original innocence two to recognize your infallible lovability and three your divine right to co-create this world every spell will touch on those three points there's not one spell that doesn't touch on one of those three points because in this judeo-christian world we are taught we are not innocent we are, we are, we are, and we are somehow sinned. We are, our imperfection is not perfect. And that's really what I'm trying to do is to try and bring that wholeness back. So, and my other thought was people can do their own 
create their own spells and empower them to believe that they really can co-create that they can find something that I didn't write about. I couldn't possibly write about every human emotion that God has gone awry. I just thought of the top 50 you know, for me, mm-hmm. for me, right. and hopefully for others. But um, so I think the biggest takeaway is take it slow mm. and trust yourself. And maybe you really do just, you know, like the, I've studied herbalism. And one of my favorite teachers is Robin Rose Bennett. And she talks about sitting with the plant, sitting with yarrow and having an experience with yarrow. You might just get to know her for a year and that what you do is you sit with the plant, you watch how it responds to the light. Maybe you study the lore. Maybe you look into like Achilles and how he used yarrow for his wounds. And that's how we use it today and how story lends. If a herb has a story, then it is, you know, not to anthropomorphize it, but it has a story because it is alive. It is a sentient Animism. energy. Animism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has a spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're working with is the spirit. So don't just go and hack at it, you know, if you're harvesting, even out of your own garden, even, you know, it's my own garden. Like, no. And, and I taught my boys that from the very beginning. You need to ask the plant, before you can even when we go in our backyard and gather this the basil for pasta that night you need to ask the plant which one you could take because when you do that i'm telling them this at three years old because when you do that when you recognize animism the spirit of the plant it will send the energy to the leaf that you pick and it will have more mojo more magic more medicine more flavor that way it's an honor because it's a reciprocal relationship and you're recognizing its spirit is how you'll get um how you honor the plant itself so it's not just about taking the medicine by oh if i honor you it's kind of like saying well if i say i don't want a hundred thousand dollars does that mean it'll come to me you know (laughs) it's it's, you you recognize it because it's a it's a reciprocity and that's why they're called plant allies that's why they're called um, herbal allies they're your allies so i think taking an ally one at a time working with smoky quartz and then maybe six months later then you pick up selenite and maybe Mm -hmm. it's six months or a year later then you start working with um obsidian like i only have a couple of plant allies and crystal allies because i don't feel like i can have a true relationship i'm not the old woman in the shoe i don't need a million children you know i just need a few allies to work with and so i think that would be my biggest takeaway for anyone new to the craft is take it slow because you are your best teacher and that's why it's a year and a day because winter looks different when you're 11 when you're 24 when you're 54 yule's gonna feel different halloween Samhain's gonna feel different in each season and there's a reason it's mm-hmm. because it has time to it needs time to integrate and, and respect your elders <laughs> throwing that out there because the thing of it is is we want so much to know more but we can sit at the knee of our elders and let their knowledge bathe over us and that's a big part of why we're doing this podcast is to get information from our elders and record it for future generations i love that you're doing this this is such a beautiful intention thank you so i really loved all that Thank you. And it's like, I want to ask more questions, but at the same time, I really want to end with that. Okay. (laughs) But I do actually, I do want to ask more questions. So, (laughs) however, however, (laughs) 
talk to me about your new life. How much of a culture shock was it for you to move up there and adjust to from Orange County to a very slower, different pace? It was, um, the first few months were bliss. Yeah. Because I had been dog paddling where, you know, when something doesn't work and you just keep trying to make it work. So I had open. I was, when I went back into the public or into the, um, corporate world after writing the first eight books I um, was in marketing and public relations so I was the marketing director for the Anaheim packing house packing district that whole area and so um, then I just got really sick of some of the politics and so I left um, kind of in a blaze of glory like I do like torch the bridge and you know (laughs) and walk away you know not even look back that whole like you know um like I'm the rock or something and it's just blazing up behind me but it took off and it did well but I just um I I knew all the work I was going to do was I was going to get the credit for it so I just left and I thought I was gonna be able to get a job really easy and I didn't and I for the last uh year and a half of my son's high school I uh put out about 180 resumes and I um, didn't want to, but I went um, for a couple of months um, unemployment and I was so proud and I didn't want to do it, but I did it for a little bit. And I ended up with like $20,000 worth of debt just to keep our lifestyle going for a couple of years because I was able to scrap some jobs together, but still. And so the first couple of months I was just laying in the hammock by the creek, just calling it good. You know, like that, this is all right. I could do this. And then the first winter hit and it was really, really a hard winter. And I cried a lot and I uh, became very, very lonely. And I joined an online shamanic priestess training and that gave me some outlet, some community. But like I said earlier, I'm not a big social media person. And the majority of that community was on a private Facebook group. And that meant I had to go on Facebook and then that energy just kind of tied me right back into the Orange County frenetic energy. So Mm. it didn't really work. Um, So it took, I've been um, in the mountain town now for two and a half years. And this last winter, I actually wrote an essay that was recently published on manifestation. So I also, in addition to my witchy work, I'm also very much striving to be just known as a literary author that isn't specific to a theme. Okay. So I write a lot of essays that are getting published and it's often on empowerment or mind, body, spirit. Like I'm not leaving that realm, but I am spreading out because our community can be so siloed and we can have to be so quiet. And I'm a writer first. And what I write about is my expression, but who I feel myself to be is a writer. So I wrote an essay about the empty nest and about winter and when I was working in public relations, I couldn't let my my silver grow. You know, I had to keep dyeing my hair. And so I was able to not dye my hair. And now my hair is like down my back and it's silver all the way through. And I get to be that person now because I don't have to hide that person anymore. I'm not making a living on looking young. Um, we host an Airbnb. So all my nurturing gets to go there. Oh, nice. Um, I, when I first left um, my authorship, I started pottery. So um, as a way to stay creative and stay with the muse without it having to earn me anything. So my Capricorn was so pissed off that I wasn't able to make money <laughs> as my artist. So I went to like, okay, fine, I'll at least make pottery and I'll still be able to. So 
now I have a kiln and a wheel and it's making money. I'm like, of course I still had to make money. I'm like crazy that way, but um, it's just a fun thing. So I get to make little cauldrons and plates and everything we eat out of um, is earthenware that I made. And the Airbnb is starting to fill up with that. So it's, it's actually one of the new spells I wrote was increasing your bliss tolerance because that's what's happening to me because the other shoe isn't dropping. I'm in a loving relationship with a very supportive mountain man. And he is the yang to my yin. And I have this really beautiful life right now. And I'm not looking for the, the next bad thing to happen. I'm learning to, to live in the bliss. That's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really key. And, and you're right. You know, it's very... Uh, fast-paced frenetic out here and then just learning to adapt and then allow yourself to truly enjoy that moment I I mean there were months that drinking started at 3 p.m I'd have I'm like you know what I think I need a glass of wine it'll be like my friend and I'll sit on the other side of it and talk to myself It didn't go that bad, but it, you know, it does become a companion. <laughs> and, and, and I, well, there was only, we're, I'm, my, my Trader Joe's is in another state. Mm-hmm. I have to go three hours, one direction just to get to Trader Joe's. I, uh, our closest town is 20 minutes unless there's a blizzard and then you're just not leaving. And, um, and, and the, the closest place to go and have like, like a little dinner is a honky tonk fish fishing club bar that's been open for a hundred literally a hundred years and um very republican and different things you look around and see and you know i come walking in with my pen on my chest and like yep that's right because you can't hurt me now i'm in it's a very christian community and they all know who i am and what i do and that's been a practice especially when strangers I used to with the cookbook people would say well what book did you write and I'd be like and I do the jewelry check she's wearing a gold cross oh it's a seasonal cookbook (laughs) you know and then and then if she had like stones on I might say something like it honors the um the ancient pagan ancient ancient was still safer to say ancient pagan traditions the celtic traditions say european say something that was like and then I could get closer and closer and closer to it and now I was buying, um, buying some, the, the cow, there's a cow, it's a hick town, um, where I was buying my, um, decorations for the table for last night's event. And someone said, what's your, what's your book? And for the first time I said, it's called the book of spells, the magic of witchcraft. Go ahead. What you got? <laughs> and there was nothing. And so for me, that's a big step. It is. It's mm-hmm. a really big step because you know, someone put it to me, if I want to make a living writing a book that has to do with witchcraft, then I have to say the word because I'm asking an audience of millions or thousands to hold this book up at the bus stop. So how can I ask them to do that if I'm not saying out loud proudly to anybody who asks me, what's the title of my book? I don't need to dance around it anymore. And I'm not asking, I know people are in unsafe areas and couldn't do that. And I'm, everyone needs to be safe. I'm just saying right now, I have lessened all the, my, um, inhibitions, inhibitions, but also the things that people, that people could take away from me. And I'm not 
saying this in a in a way because I know the universe of the minute I say I'm not vulnerable anymore I'll get that lesson of yes you are yeah. so so I'm not saying that I'm you know that I don't have those Achilles heel I'm just saying that I really want to stand up for our original innocence our infallible lovability and our ability to co-create with the divine that that's what we do and that's what's important that's more important to me than the word witch mm-hmm. it's more important to me than the word the craft it's more important than Wicca or spells or magic is just that sentiment that we're lovable, that we're innocent, and we are making up our world as we go. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> no, seriously, that's... Oh, we get so many different messages from so many different perspectives and angles all over, not just within our community, but society in general. And that right there is exactly how we should be looking at our world. I hope to. I hope to. I mean, that was part of the Christian science upbringing. Mm-hmm. Christian science is, when people go, Christian science is not the one. And, and I said, we're the ones who don't believe in doctors. Because that's where people go, oh, yeah, you're the ones who don't go to the doctors. And I said, well, this is the premise. The premise is, first, it was religion founded by a woman. And it also states that when Jesus said you can look to that mountain and, and say move as long as you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed you can move it he meant that it wasn't just an allegory and that's that is so ingrained in me that I can change anything I can change my anger I could change well my mom didn't tell you she had cancer she had breast cancer that's why if you look around this house you'll see a lot of affirmations and different things because that's what she did to heal herself because what I was taught was as long as if you can see yourself as whole, your you your body will become whole. You have to see that never you have to understand, never, ever, ever, ever give up. You know, just kind of like um oh my gosh, Winston Churchill, who said that never, ever, ever, and there's this long speech about about the dark night of the soul and the most important thing is that you hold on to your convictions. And my my truest conviction is that we can heal anything with the faith of a grain of mustard seed but it's getting to that level of faith it's getting to that purity of intention it's getting to that purity of focus it's getting to that purity of heart to make those changes that's the journey very cool thank you yeah thank you i'm so glad that we had this opportunity to get together me too i can't believe this happened this is so rad (laughs) it's been so long since i've laid eyes on you you know and and i'm like wait she's gonna be in town (gasps) we should see if she's gonna be available yeah so because you know he leaves in a couple days yeah this was great this is perfect perfect. yeah (laughs) thank you so much oh i appreciate this opportunity because it's really it's really good for me. I like the idea of taking the stepping stone of the craft and being a witch and expanding what it can mean. Mm-hmm. It's not all about crystal skulls. It's not all about a big cal- you know, iron cauldron that was in my picture. Was you know, I had a big iron cauldron and it's it's not just about that. It's it's really about being barefoot barefoot and wild again, you know, and really knowing that we belong here on this earth connecting to each other and the planet and um the fact are that we are the divine agreed so if people want to um buy your books or 
find you online or any of the things where can they find all that i am my website is jamiedella.com oh we were going to talk about that i'm going to say this really quick my i have i have three different pen names right yes (laughs) i have three different pen names uh jamie wood jamie martinez wood and jamie della and the story is that Jamie Wood was my first one because I was pregnant and didn't come up with a pen name. So I used my real name. <laughs> I always laugh about that because everyone's, especially with witchcraft, they're like, they, you used your real name? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was pregnant. I had like three brain cells left, you know? And so that was my um, ex-husband's last name. Okay. Was Wood. And then when I wrote... Um, I wrote three books uh, that about the Latino culture. One is a Hispanic baby name book, which my mom wrote the intro to, which was really cool about how she came up with my name. Um, she named me after, like she said, her mom had just crossed. So she named me after her best friend from when she was six years old because that's where she had fun and she wanted to remember joy. Aww. And so that's how she got Jamie and Della became my middle name because that was her mom's first name. So when I wrote that book and the Latino Writers and Journalists book and Rogelia's House of Magic, which is a young adult book, I used my mom's maiden name as as part of my name. So I became Jamie Martinez Wood. And then when this book came out, I had been um, separated from my husband now for 10 years and I had never officially changed my name yet because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. I thought Jamie Della, Della means of the, in the Spanish, you know, it's, so I was like, I could be de la Luna, de la Montañas, de la Mariposa. And I was coming up with all these names and stuff. And then I finally decided, and I also went through like my biological father, who I reconnected with when I was 40, actually reconnected with him because he had crossed over. So that's how I found him. But I went to his funeral and I reconnected with my family. And one of my cousins already owned my book. And now she makes magical intentional candles and I take them to my fairs and she takes my books to her fairs. And she's doing this witchy thing in Mississippi in a mall. It just blows my mind. Wow. I know. Twin moon magic, just saying. Um, In any case, she's a Gemini. So Kelly, my girl. So in any case, um, I thought I could be Wolfgang because that was the name I was born to. And I'm like, that doesn't resonate. Maybe I'll be Wolf. Maybe I'll just be Lobo. Like I kept trying on names. I'd go back to Martinez. Maybe I'd go back to my bud. Maybe I would do all these things. And I thought none of this fit. Mm. And it was all patriarchy. Hmm. And I finally got, oh, these are all patriarchy. What if I just stick with Della, my matriarchy? And I am of the, and I'll let you know when I decide of the what. Meanwhile, I'm evolving like every good goddess does. So I am Jamie of the. I am noble. It is noble. It means noble. It means of the, continuing, evolving, always identifying over and over again who and what you are this new day and so that's why I changed my name my publisher was like I don't think you should do that you you're known as Jamie Wood and I said that's okay this is this is my new identity this is the identity I love saying I went I changed it officially I there's a picture of me um, coming out of the DMV I did a little a selfie and I am so happy it lived a little town the DMV lady when I go in there to like got my real ID she was like how's it going Jamie she remembers me for how excited I got when I changed Aww. my name just to Jamie Della That's so cool. <laughs> it's also a small town so they remember you you know but still the DMV gal 
And so, so that's why I'm doing Jamie Della. It's a match. It's a stand for the matriarchy. It's a stand for you can, and it became a new spell. You can name yourself because we all grow into our names, whether we realize it or not. You know, it, 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 that's why some of us change it. That's why some of us use a diminutive of our name. Some of us use the full name of it, you know, because when someone calls us, they're calling us up like you call up a spell, like you call up an intention. They're calling you in, you know? And so when we say our names, you know, in ritual, we'll say it, we put our name into the fire, right? That's, we choose that. And that was me purposefully, intentionally thinking and thinking about it. And I'm choosing Della. And it's really sweet because I have a niece named Della. And so we're like the Della crew. You know, and I show her the book. I'm like, look, it's on the spine, just Della. And I love it because that's always been my true name. And all these changings, because I was I was born Jamie Wolfgang. And then I took on Jamie Martinez for a couple of years when my mom was a single mom. And then I used the last name Jamie Budd for a long time and, and for my stepdad. And then I was like 14 when my mom says, you know, we should probably make this official. I was like, what? I've been using this name in school unofficially for 10 years. And so then it became Jamie Wood. So I had four different patriarchal names and it just, but who I always was, was Jamie Della. So that's, that's why. So jamiedella.com, you can buy the books. Um, my, you could buy the book of spells and the Wicca cookbook and the fairy's guide to green magic in the garden. They're all still available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Indie Bound. And um, because they're published by Red, 10 Speed Press, which is out of Northern California, but that's owned by Random House, so the distribution wow. is, is okay. really available. Um, and you could also contact me through my website, and um, if anyone was ever interested, and I could send them a personalized signed copy. We just do the exchange with Venmo and PayPal and all the, the ways that we can exchange money now. And um, I just want to be, I want to be accessible, and I want, I want people to have the magic that lives in them. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It was great meeting you. Great meeting you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider donating on our website at ravensatthecrossroads.com. You can also catch future episodes directly from the website or find us on iTunes Music, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Follow us on social media, Ravens at the Crossroads on Facebook and Instagram, and at Ravens Crossroad on Twitter. Oh,